0: You're listening to the Paradox Church podcast. Paradox Church is a Jesus-centered community where our motto is, come as you are, no perfect people allowed. For more information about our service times, location, and to get connected with us, please visit our website at www.paradoxchurch.com. We hope you enjoy this message. All right. Hey, everyone. How are you doing this morning? Oh, come on. How are you doing this morning? Yeah, thank you. All right, so if you've been... I didn't hear that, but it was very enthusiastic. Thank you. All right, if you've been coming to Paradox for any length of time, uh, someone may have asked you when, you, when they ask you what church you go to, and you say, Paradox Church, maybe you've had to feel the question. Someone asking you, why is your church called Paradox? So just in case you didn't know how to answer that, I want to make sure that right now you all know how to answer that question. So it, really, the answer to the question, how, why are we called Paradox?, comes from the very definition of the word itself. The, the, the team that launched Paradox many years ago just just caught the vision and caught the heart. I want to read you this definition that's on your screen. A paradox is something, a seemingly absurd or contradictory statement that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. We believe here at Paradox that, that God is true. He is well-founded. And the way that he expresses himself and the way that he's expressed himself through his word to us, through the world's eyes, can sometimes look absurd or even contradictory through our worldly perspective. But upon further investigation, we believe God is revealing deep truths. And that's what this series is all about, is taking a look at some of those paradoxes, some of these deep truths that we think are real. We live in a world right now that very much wants us to pick a side, to be either or. You're, you're, you can't be both anymore. Like right now, it seems like the world wants you to be, you're a Democrat or Republican. Well, which one are you, right? Are, are, you, are you a masker or an anti-masker? Are you a vaxxer or an anti-vaxxer? Like, like you have to pick a side. Are you for Black Lives Matter or are you for Blue Lives Matter? Are you for all lives? Like pick a side, pick a side. And then people, the, the truths that we see in the Bible oftentimes help us to see that it's not always about either or. But God reveals to us truth that's about both and. And this, is one of, and this is the truths that we're starting to look at. Last week, Dave, Dave led us through how we can be called to be people who love God and love people. Today, we're going to piggyback off of that. We're going to ask ourselves, how can we fulfill this call that we have in this life and in this world to be people who are called to truth, to bringing truth into the world, and, and people who bring grace into this world? We live in a world that, that, that right now is, is just... It's starving for truth. Truth has been compromised in a lot of ways. And likewise, grace, the whole concept of grace is really, really misunderstood right now. So it's my prayer this morning that that in the next little bit of time we have together that this will become a little bit clearer to us. What grace and truth are, how they interact with each other, and what that means for us in relationship with God. And as I say, it's my prayer this morning. Why don't I just pray that prayer this morning? So will you join with me in prayer? Father, God, you are good good. (laughs) I love that song. I just love saying that over and over just to remind myself of how good you are. And God, I I believe that you reveal yourself to us uh, in so many ways because you want to be known by us, because you want relationship with us. That's why you made us. It's for relationship with you. I pray that this morning, as we open up this word, that you would show us what that looks like, how we can have relationship with you, uh, how we can understand and accept your truth and your grace, and then how we can turn around and be grace and truth to the world. God will you be with us this morning as we try and unravel this paradox in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you guys ever gone to like one of those museums, not not like an art gallery, but like a museum that's a hands-on museum where there's like all these different rooms like a, like a science center or something like that? Yeah. yeah, right? I don't know about you, but like when I go to a place like that I, I, I get I, I get crazy. Like, I go around, and I just want to touch everything. And you want to go to this room, like, oh, what is this thing? What does this room do? And then you, you look around, and you see something over there, and you don't, like, give the thing the time that it needs. Like, you go over to this thing. What's this thing do? And you just, and then you see a door. You're like, what's in this room over there, right? I don't know, maybe it's just me, right? <laughs> like, I get excited when I'm in a new place with new stuff that I can, that I can check out. Or maybe you've gone to buy a new home recently, and you're, like, going to, you go into this home, and what do you do? You don't just Kind of sit at the door and just think, like, you want to go, what is it? You're checking light switches. Well, what does this light switch work And what What's in this closet? How big is this closet? It's kind of like when we get in those, maybe it's just me. Hopefully there's some of you that can amen me. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's like I feel like a toddler. I feel like I'm just excited about this world and everything that's there to see and do. I love watching young kids just interact with the world. They're so excited. Everything is fresh and new. I think it helps that their perspective is literally like everything is big. It's just it just makes everything just awesome and, and exciting to them. I I can if I came in Paradox next week and there was a giant chair in the lobby that I had to climb up on, I would do it. Just because I'd be like, what's this chair? Like that's that's the perspective of a toddler and it's fun. And, and and it helps that they have a mind of a goldfish so they can open the same drawer and look in it five times, right? But but it's just it's just the way they act. And and the thing about toddlers, and, and they're super fun to work with and by the way, as Dave mentioned, Journey opening next week, yeah? If, you, if you'd like to, to hang out with some toddlers and see firsthand what I'm talking about, you can join the team. Um, just fill out the connect card online, we'll set you up. The thing about toddlers though, the thing about children in general, really the thing about all of us, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick on the toddlers for just a minute, the thing about them is left to their own devices, left to their own exploration of everywhere, they might find themselves in some trouble, right? The world is a big place, and there's things and there's areas that they're not capable of. Think about if you're at home, right? If you're at home, and you're with your toddler, and you have to get some work done or whatever, and you can't engage with them in anymore, the you're not interacting with them, but you don't want them to tumble down the stairs, what do you do? You turn to an amazing invention called the baby gate, right? Baby gates are awesome. You can put them in front of things as, as a barrier, as a way to keep them from going to an area where you can't be right now. An area, that's, an area that's, that's, that's off limits to them because it's just not safe for them to be there alone. They shouldn't be there by themselves. So you can put this up as a barrier to them. A good parent will, will do this. A good parent also knows that kids are clever. <laughs> kids like to climb. Right? Go, go YouTube videos on kids and baby gates, and you will see the most amazing displays of, of athleticism and acrobats you've ever seen as these kids climb up. And it does, it's not just true for toddlers, it's true for us too. When there's, when there's barriers or there's things in our life, guardrails in our life, we can easily find a way around them if we really, really want to. But a good parent doesn't, doesn't, say, doesn't say, well, they'll get over it. No, the good parent puts the barriers there. But, like I said, a good parent also knows that a kid can overcome that barrier. So a good parent will also, along with, with, with putting truth in the way, as, as a guardrail to say, no, the truth is, you don't want to be in the basement right now. Like, there's, there's a, there's a, here's a barrier, here's a boundary, here's truth. A good parent will also be ready to impart grace, we we'll have, will have the first aid bag at the ready, so that if and when the child goes to a place they shouldn't, does something they shouldn't do, the parent can come alongside of them, help them, heal them, restore, redirect their behavior, and restore the relationship and bring them back to the spot with the parent where it's safe. A good parent would a good, would a good parent not put any barriers out, not put any gates out and just say, well, I got the, uh, I got the kit. So the kid can go everywhere. They can touch whatever they want. It doesn't matter. I'll, I'll stitch them up. I'll just fix them. No, no, that would be that, that would, we'd be calling phone numbers on you. You can't do that on the, on the flip side, right? Would a good, would a good parent put up, put up the gate and, and tell the child, you may not go there. Don't go there. And then if and when the child goes there, we'll just like look down the stairs and go, oh man, that's a bloody mess. We lost another one. Like, kid didn't listen. Right? No, a good parent is a balance of both. Truth. balanced with grace. Working together. The good news is that we already have an awesome example of parenting, of how to balance and how to use truth and grace together in God. Right? Since the very beginning, when God created man and woman, he, gave, he, he, he balanced off truth and grace. And we're going to learn that's because that's just who He is, right? Adam and Eve, He gave them one gate. You got one rule, right? And inevitably, like we all would and we all do, they, they climbed that gate. They broke that rule. Eve ate the apple. Adam partook as well. But what did God do? Did He write them off? All humans are useless. I guess I'll go make something else. No. He stood in. He was ready to to pick them up with grace. To clothe them and to give them a way of life. And to still, he didn't abandon them, still be with them. And bring truth back in front of them. And he did, and, and he and. From the beginning of time, from then until now, God has worked with people to bring truth and grace. Through the Old Testament, he did it through giving them the law. Here's the Ten Commandments. Here's laws that are good for you and how you want to interact. Here's prophets. I'm sending you people that I'm speaking to because I can't speak to all of you. You won't all listen to me. These people will. I'm going to speak through these people, and you're going to listen to them. And I'm going to be with you. You're going to build a temple. I'm going to be with you. I'm gonna... It's all about being in God's presence. God, from the very beginning, just wants us in his presence. Because he loves us. But he knows that it needs, it's going to require truth balanced with grace. And all along, God promised. He said, he's like, and he promised that he, is, he himself would make a way that this truth and grace would come together and that he, there would be a way for him not to just be with us here on earth, but be with us forever. Enter Jesus on the scene as promised. Jesus was so Awesome. He was so much and much more so the promise that God had that several of the people who were most looking for him didn't recognize it. It was too good to be true. We're going to turn to the book of John, the very first, chapter 1. In the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word. John is talking about Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As Dave talked about last week, One of of the paradoxes that we wrestle with is the fact that Jesus was God, fully God, and fully man. Jesus wasn't a godly man. Jesus wasn't God in a facade, in a mirage to make him look like a human. Jesus was fully God, fully man. The Word was with God. The Word was God. We're going to skip down to verse 14. So let's pick it up at verse 14 where it says, the word became flesh, not looked like flesh, became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of what? Grace and Truth. Jesus came full of grace and truth. He didn't, he didn't come with the rules and all, and here's the truth, and 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 I'll sprinkle in a little grace. He didn't come saying everything's going to be okay. I got a couple of rules that may... No. Jesus came in this way that was amazing, full of truth and grace. Jesus didn't lower the bar of the day for people so that, they would be, that he would be more liked. In fact, in many ways, Jesus upped the bar in terms of, in terms of the rules that he gave people. For example, Jesus said, you've heard it said that not to murder, but I say that if you carry anger against your brother, you've sinned Right? And Jesus, Jesus said, you've heard it said that those who commit adultery commit sin. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully... So Jesus, in many ways, raised the bar. But in the same time, you look again and again and throughout Scripture and how Jesus interacted with the people and how the people followed him. And there was just something about him, the way that he imparted this truth with care and concern for them. Having just... It's like the medical bag was on his shoulder as he's putting the gate down. And it just gave the people that he was with, this, this feeling of just, of just who he was and security and who he was. And here's the thing, and here's, and here's how I believe he was able to do it. And to, to kind of understand this, we have to understand a little bit better what exactly are we talking about with grace and truth. Grace and truth is not like peanut butter and jelly. Peanut butter and jelly are two totally separate things that on their own are good things. You put them together for most people and it creates something awesome. and It's something great. And I think a lot of times we think of grace and truth in the same way. That's like peanut butter and jelly. Grace is, oh, I'm on, on the true side. Truth is great. Like, truth is good. It's good for us to know, know boundaries and to set limits. It's good for our life. It's good for us to help other people see the truth. And we think, oh, grace is, grace is good too. It's good, it's good to be forgiven. It's good to know that we're loved and that we can have acceptance. We can be restored back to relationship. And these two things are both are both good. But they're both separate. Sometimes you need this. Sometimes you need that. We have to understand that that's not true. Grace and truth are not peanut butter and jelly to be combined together. It's think of it more like DNA. In DNA, you've got these, these two strands of molecules that by themselves are useless. They don't, they don't do it They don't even make any sense by themselves. But when the two come together and they combine together, they were created to be one thing, this DNA strand. It forms the basis for all life. In the same way, grace and truth, by their very definition and the very way that God set them up, are intertwined. You, you can't rip them apart. Think about this. So, so let's think about grace. Grace, what is it? It's forgiveness. It's restoration. There is no, if there's no truth, so, so grace is, is, is forgiveness, restoration. If there isn't any truth at all, then, so what do we need to be restored to? There's, there's, you've done nothing wrong. There's no need to be restored. You haven't done anything wrong. Right? On the flip side, what is truth? Truth, at its, at its core, is God's will. Let's, let's camp on that for just a second, right? If you go to the Webster definition of truth, it says what's factual in reality. Well, we don't, we don't have time to give it a, That's a very phys, uh, physiological, like psychological debate. Like when, you, when you carve it all down, this world was created by God. He is in all things and through all things, he sustains all things. So what is truth? God's will. Whatever he says, he's God. So if that's true, if truth is God's will, and if that's if if so there's truth, and if there's no grace, if there's no way for us to be reconciled to God, if, if there's no chance for us to line up with this. This, this set of rules that, that he would give for our lives, if there's no chance for that, then, then truth is irrelevant. Like, why would I care? I can't, I can't do it. I'd give up. That's why, you see, just like DNA is the basis for all life, grace and truth are the basis for the gospel. Jesus showed us that it's not about one or the other. It's when the two come together, because they're interdependent on each other, that it works. And when Jesus showed grace and truth, when he demonstrated how this works to the people of the day, they saw God. They got to see this is what God is like. This is a, this is a, this is a good king who cares about us, who has, who has uh, a path and a purpose for our life, and he's there to redirect us and restore us to relationship when we need it. And when it works right, when we can, if we could understand and we could accept that, we could then turn around and show Jesus to the world. The reality is <laughs> we struggle with this. The reality is we tend to look at this DNA strand and try and tear it apart and pick and choose when, when to use grace, when to employ truth. And we mishandle and we misuse these because we rip them apart and pull them separate from one another. I said the reality is, speaking of, who's a, who's a fan of reality TV? Anybody? Several of you? Uh, I'm not, personally. Like, like I, I, when I sit down, when I get time to sit down, I want, <laughs> I want to leave the world or the world's real enough. Like, I want to be entertained. Take me to, take me to Narnia. Like, take me somewhere else. Like, I want out. Um, but April and I did get into American Idol for a while when it first came out, the first couple of seasons. It was interesting. If you remember that show, they would, people would come and audition to sing, and there was always those couple auditions that they'd sprinkle in the beginning where the person was just horrible. They're just, right, they're just rotten. They're bad. And you had the judges up there. You had Simon Cowell and, uh, and uh, Paula Abdul and Randy Johnson? Jackson. It's been a while. Randy Jackson. So a person would get out there, and they'd be so excited. They'd belt their heart out. And it would be, oh, she bang, she, she banged. It would be horrible, right? <laughs> and then you'd have Simon. They'd always go to Simon first. And then Simon would look at the press and be like, that was horrible. I was absolutely horrible. He would take his gate of truth, and he would not only set it there with the truth, he would beat them over the head with it. <laughs> my ears would bleed, but then the blood would go back in my head because they would see your outfit in your face. And He was just so mean, right, with his truth. And then you'd have Paula, who would come alongside and be like, oh, Simon, stop it. Stop it. You do you. I love your heart. You follow your dreams. Good for you. Then you'd have Randy. He was a mixed bag. He would just be like, "He's like, dog, I'm not feeling it." Like that was was his thing. I'm like, not not feeling it. But here we have we have Simon and we have Paula, and I think we can look at them as an examples of how we as individuals and sometimes we as the church get it wrong. We pull the strand apart. Sometimes we're a little bit too much truth in your face. Right, we we think we're helping. This is this is the type of church that goes out and, and, and we'll, we'll go in front of an abortion clinic and, and, and we'll will yell and we'll throw things at people or the, or, or, or or interrupt um, an LGBT, uh, LGBTQ um, parade and march with bullhorns and yelling that God like this is the type this is the type of mindset this legalism this judgmentalism that says you need to know this I've got the truth and here it is and I'm going to make you understand it. The problem is God isn't like that. God doesn't do that. He could. God could easily cram the truth down our throats and make us follow it if he wanted to. If the truth was what was most important, God could do it. He wouldn't need our help to do it. It'd be like living in North Korea and God would be Kim Jong-un, but that's what it would be like. But God doesn't, that's not how he is. And in fact, Jesus showed great disdain for people who do that, who in the name of God represent him and try to say that to the world. There was these guys called Pharisees, and they were the teachers of the law. They were the gatekeepers, so to speak. And these guys were, like, they, they knew the law backward and forward. They had all the gates set up. But look what Jesus says about them in Luke chapter 11. I'm looking at verse 46. Jesus said to, said to them, You experts in the law, woe to you! because you load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry, and you yourself will not lift one finger to help them. Jesus shows that when we're we're legalistic and when we just come at people with the truth, without grace, without the love behind it, without, without the kit in hand, especially when our context of relationship with that person or that group of people isn't already established, that we just end up turning them away. One place we see this, unfortunately, really often right now is, is on the internet. And we're going to preach this here. We're going to have a whole series in October about the book of James. We're going to talk about that a little bit. And sometimes that's an area where that can happen because, because it's more anonymous. There's not the relationship built. And I think that's really key. Is there a time and is there a place to bring truth to somebody? Um, yes. Absolutely. Absolutely but when we don't do it in the context of relationship, I think it's very interesting. Not only do we pull the DNA of grace and truth apart and look at them separately, I think we kind of get them also backwards in the way we use them when we do that. What I mean is is when we have a relationship with someone who, that's not like strong, we don't have a really strong relationship with them, for some reason we tend to lean more on truth. And for those people that we have a stronger relationship with, for some reason we lean more towards grace. When we have more relationship, we have more context, we could probably bring in more truth, but instead we just, we just bring the bag of grace. We become Paul Abdul. So when we become Paul Abdul, we do it for a number of reasons. And, they, and it seems like when you're Paul, you're so sweet. It seems like you've got good reasons and, and good motivations for what you're doing. For example... If I bring if I bring a truth to this to this brother or sister of this person, it might, might be hard for them to hear. I might hurt their feelings. It might put a little bit of an awkwardness in our relationship. It might it might make things it might make things awkward between us. And so we avoid confrontation. The problem is when you avoid confrontation, more often than not, it leads to escalation. What I mean by that is, is we put off a conversation that should be had for a while, and things just get worse. Things tend to not get better on their own. Without somebody bringing truth to this brother or sister, they might continue to stray, and then it might be harder and harder to, to have this conversation that needs to be had. I personally am, am learn, I'm more and more convinced in my life. I've said this to several people lately. Like, like, I, I've been so guilty of that myself. Where I can sit and I can say I want the truth. If I'm in a relationship with you, I want the truth. Tell me, please. Let me know. But then m- me myself, when I have a chance, if I'm honest, too many times I'm just I'm just in the bag. What do you need? You need some tape, some gauze. It's the it's the zipper. It's the your flies down thing, right? Like I want to be told my flies down. People, if you ever see me around the church and my zipper is down, please tell me. Like I want to know that. But like we so oftentimes, and sometimes as Christians, we're Paul, we're like. Like, oh, okay. I don't want to make them feel awkward. Okay, so now I get to walk around and everyone's like, "No, tell me the truth." So I've, this is the warning of us as a church to be, not be too much like Paula in terms of that. Here's the other. Here's the other way that we sometimes err on the side of grace, and that is when we say, "Well, uh, it's not about confrontation. It's about maybe their, tru- their truth is different." Maybe their truth is their truth. Like, I know, I know what I think I believe. I know what I would say to them. I think I'm called to say something to them. But, but they believe differently. They, they interpret the word differently. They do something. Like, so I let their truth be their truth. <sighs> Friends, of all the things, this, that's probably the most dangerous for us to do. Tolerance. Tolerance is not a form of grace. Tolerance is lowering the bar of expectation and, and being okay with more sin. It's not grace. Grace is, is, is restoring, redirecting and restoring them to relationship with God. Remember, all of this is about being in relationship with the Father, relationship with God. So if we, when we help them back, we're actually, actually loving them. I want to read this verse from 2 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to what Paul wrote to his friend Timothy. I think it was true back then. He was speaking to a specific case back then, but I think it's true in our hearts. Uh, This is, we're going to read verse um, 2 through 4. It says, Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience. See, he doesn't say just correct and rebuke, be harsh. He says with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come, and it's here, we see it, when people will not put up with sound doctrine, instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a, number, a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside and turn toward myths. When we don't present truth in love and grace, we allow people to go after those answers that what their itching ears want to hear. And it's not the truth about who God is. So they'll enter a place, and they'll enter a behavior, they'll enter a mindset where God isn't. He's not there. And we're allowing them to walk into there without, without putting that gate up to help them. Okay, so we see that some, some people or churches, they offer grace without truth. When they do that, there's no growth. Why? Because the truth is just not known. Some churches will offer truth without grace but when they do that there's no growth why because the truth is ignored because of the way it's presented so how can we find this balance how can we be more like randy i guess how can we be in the middle at paradox church we're a come as you are church it's above our door that's grace come as you are we want that we believe that but we also say several times right from the stage but don't stay that way that's truth we want to be that how can we be that when we so often pull it apart well the answer is not going to shock you what would Jesus do? Let's go back to the one who we said is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said in John, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not, not um, I have grace, I, I, I have a way. Not I've got some laws, I've got some truth. I am the way. I am the truth. And in that, in me, in those things, there is life. So let's go to him and let's see how he did it. I want to use a story uh, that of what Jesus happened to Jesus, because I believe it so beautifully illustrates what he did. So we're going to go to the book of John, chapter 8, if you want to follow along with me. John, chapter 8, we are starting in verse 2. All right. Here we go. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. All right. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order that they would have a basis of accusing him. That was so much cooler in my head. There he was, now keep the music going. There he was, Jesus in the courtyard, outgunned, outman, facing down some of the best lawmen in all of Jerusalem. They knew the law, they were in the right. Each and every one of them had their weapon in hand, a stone ready to throw. What would Jesus do? The noon sun blazing on the hot sand. Jesus had a weapon they didn't know about. And as he reached down to his side, he took out something, and Jesus drew some words in the sand. And, okay, that's enough of that. That's enough of that. Anyway. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I really just, I I wanted you to lean in. Listen, this is the part. Now you're in? You're with me? Listen, you're awake. Here we go. Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his fingers. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. At this, those who, who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Listen, lean in. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. There it is. These guys were coming at her with the gate. They were going to throw the gate at her. And what did Jesus say? They weren't wrong. Jesus didn't say they were wrong. She was breaking a rule. That was the consequence. He didn't tell them that they couldn't do it. He simply showed the truth to them, that they were under the same law, that they were under the same rules. He reminded them of that. We don't know exactly what he wrote in the sand, but whatever he wrote in there, whether it was the Ten Commandments, whether it was names of women they were unfaithful with, whatever it was he wrote, it was enough for them to go, oh, yeah, that's right. I got, I got to go. Like, like, right? Jesus brought the grace. When they left, what did he do? Did he then pick up a stone and go, this one's all mine? Like, no. He came alongside her. He says, where are they? He said, neither do I condemn you. But this is the key, and this is important. This is where Jesus shows us how to bring it all home. What did he say after he said, but neither do I condemn you? Did he say, go and do whatever you want. If those guys bother you again, I'll be right back here for you. No. He said to her, go and leave your life of sin. Jesus gives us this example of what it's like to to, to redirect in love, in grace, redirect and restore relationships. In such an amazing way. And I know like you're thinking, well, well, that's Jesus. (laughs) Like, like, of course, Jesus can do it. That's you said, Mike, that's who he is. He's full of grace and truth. It's easy for him. He just has to be himself. True. True. But we are called to follow him as disciples of him, as, as those who try like we can try and bring him to the world and try to do him. So I want to get, as we land this plane here, I want to bring you some really quick practical steps. We're going to go through them. First, we're going to talk about some things we need to know about truth in order to be more like Jesus and some things we need to know about grace. All right? So buckle up. Here we go. What do we need to know about truth? Here it is. Okay. This is key. We can only discover truth, not create it. Truth exists outside of us to believe, it's not inside of us to conceive, right? Like, like, we can have our opinions, we all have our opinions, but when it comes to truth, what's right and what's wrong in any given situation, what's wise and what's not, what's the best path to take and what's not, when it comes to, to the truth of it, we can have our opinion, but ultimately it's God's. This is His world, and we're in it. We are His children, Right? When it, we, we don't like to hear that. We, like, like, It's not a democracy. We get, get a, here in America, we don't like to hear that. Democracy is an awesome, it's the best thing we've found so, so far for human governing. But the reality is in God's kingdom, it's a kingdom. He's our king. I want to read to you what it says in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 11, 33 and 34. It says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. And how, look at that word, inscrutable his ways. For he has known the mind, who, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor. I can't create a universe. Anyone create a universe? Anybody? Like, like God's ways above our ways. Like, it says who can counsel him? His ways are inscrutable. Even if we try to pick them apart, and we have, we do that, we see things that happen in life, we're like, God, how could you allow this? And, we, we, and we'll put a gate of truth where he hasn't. God, how, like, like Jonah, like God asked Jonah, go bring, go bring truth and grace to these people. God, Jonah was like, no, those people don't. Just, God, what are you thinking? We try to outthink God. We try to show him truth. But we're just kidding ourselves. We're just kidding ourselves. It's his and it's, and it's world and it's beautiful. So how can we know this truth? So if, if we get to the point where we understand that and we, can, and we believe that, it, that, all right, God, this is yours, how can we then know his truth and know what to do? Three quick things. Number one is pray. If I bake you a great cake and you like it, you can go home and try a bunch of ingredients. You can try and mix it up together and, and make this cake that tasted like my cake. You can do that. You can just ask me for the recipe, Right? God wants you to live a a, a full life. He wants you to live in grace and truth. And he'll tell you if you ask him. In prayer, God's Holy Spirit is is in communion with us, is talking with us. We have access to hear from him directly if we just would ask. And I know sometimes we can be like, "I, I believe that, Mike, but it's sometimes hard to hear. That's okay. God's given us other ways. He's given us this word. We can get in his word. He's spoken throughout the ages to people who have written those things down as well. Well, you might say, well, Mike, I I hear that too, but sometimes I get in this word and I get a little confused, especially in that Old Testament. I agree. I do too. Here's another thing God's given you. People. Dave mentioned small groups. There's no better place for you to explore your faith and to understand and wrestle with who God is and understand grace and truth than a smaller group of people who are after the same thing. You get together with a small group of people, you open this book, you study this book, and you start your meetings, you know, start your meetings with fun and have some fun. But when you get into this word together and you pray as a group together and say, God, open this up to us, help us to understand this. (sighs) He's going to do it. He's going to do it, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. All right, so, I'm going to skip over to Grace. So, What are some things we need to know about grace? In order to be more like Jesus, in order to be able to show truth and and grace like Jesus, what are a couple things we need to know about grace? Number one, we need to know that we need it. If you look at Luke chapter 5, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus says this, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. The first thing we need to realize about grace is that we need it. that 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 we don't measure up, and we can't, and that we need God's grace. We need God to restore us when we break that relationship by going against his truth. When we fall down the stairs, when we climb the gate and we fall down the stairs, we need his grace. We need him to come and get us. The second thing we need to realize is that we don't deserve it. This is going to be a blitz, right? Stay with me. 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. My tab pulled out, so i got to be super quick here now. Young guns. Here we go. Okay. Uh, chapter 3, verse 18, says this. For Christ also suffering once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. We have to understand that, that we do not deserve God's grace. We are, in our own nature, unrighteous. It's only by Jesus' grace, only by him coming after us and, and, the, and what he did for us on the cross that we are made to deserve it. And, and this is why that's so important. Right. I, oftentimes I hear, maybe you've heard, well, how can a good God allow people to go to hell? It's a good question. It's a tough question. I would pose back this question. How could a holy God allow sinful people into heaven? How could a holy God spend eternity with those who would, who would mock him and would, would kill his son? How is that possible? Only by grace. And only when we realize that we don't deserve it, and yet he does it. That's where the power is. It, pe- people who are deserving of something aren't grateful for it. Like, like if, if you, I owe you five bucks and I give you five bucks back, you may say a token thank you, but you really, that thank you really meant, yeah, sucker, you better give me my money back. <laughs> if I don't owe you anything and I give you five dollars, I'm just thinking about you today. I want you to get a cup of coffee. Well, thank you. Thank you, right? It's a different posture, it's a different attitude that we can have when we understand that we don't deserve God's grace, and yet he gives it to us. Third thing we need to know about God's grace, we can't earn it. Let's see what it says in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. It says this, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift from God, not by works, so that anyone could boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works with, with God prepared in advance for us to do. We can't earn it. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. Our debt to him is too big. We have to just accept the gift. And that's the, then that's the next thing. That's the fourth thing real quick. How do, we, how do we understand God's grace? What do we have to do to understand it better? We have to accept it. And this is very interesting. I found this in, in 1833. 1833 a man named George Wilson, he was arrested from robbing from the U.S. Post Office, 1833. He was sentenced to death. He had some influential friend who who knew Andrew Jackson, the president, and he actually got a pardon for his friend. So the pardon came down. This man had a pardon from the president, released from jail. He refused it. He refused the pardon. They actually had to send it to the Supreme Court. No one knew, knew what to do about this case. The Supreme Court ruled, and here's what they found. A pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential, and delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered. If it is rejected, we have not discovered any power in this court to force it upon him. God agrees, I believe, with the U.S. Supreme Court in this case. That's not going to force his grace upon you. If you want to tumble down the stairs, if you want to go and be where he's not, where he won't go in your life, he's going to be there. He's ready, He's ready, but he's he's not going to force you to do it. He's not going to grab you by the collar and drag you up the stairs, mend you up and try and restore you to a relationship you don't want to be in. But if that's what you want, if you're there at the bottom of the stairs, you're like, Dad, boom, he's he's got the bag. He's there. We have to accept it. Last one. We have to pay it forward. We've got to understand this about grace. We have been forgiven so much that for us to, to, to hold that and not to share that with anyone would be, would be sin. Jesus tells us, for those of you, like when we forgive, we must forgive others. Think of it this way. If I get again, money's, I don't want to keep going back to money. It's easy for us to understand. If I give you a trillion dollars, right now, you have a trillion dollars, boom, your bank account. And someone comes up and asks you for 10 bucks. What kind of attitude are you going to have? Oh, yes, I was just given a trillion dollars. Yes, I will I don't have time to tell the whole story, but Jesus tells a story about a servant who owed like a million dollars to his master in in current money back then, and and he went to the master, and the master's like, "Well, I got to throw you in jail. You're not paying me." He's like, "Please, sir, please, I beg you, my family needs to Throw me in jail." And the master said, "Okay, your debt's paid. You're done." I don't know why he did this to him. <laughs> he, he, he forgave his debt. And Jesus tells him, he goes around and he, ta- he finds another guy who owes him like a couple bucks. And he tries to extort them. You owe me. And he actually threw the guy. Jesus warns us, do not be that guy. When you realize what Jesus has done, when he's paid the price for you, you need to, you need to your attitude, your posture should be, thank you. Thank you for showing me what grace and truth looks like. Help me to extend that. to to the next person as we close the service we're going to close in communion this morning we're going to celebrate this as we take the bread and the wine we're going to celebrate this grace and truth that that Jesus is and what he showed us so here's what I would like you to do as the the band plays this last song we have in the back set up we have the little individual communion cups not right away, whenever you want to during this song I want you to do a couple things number one If someone's coming to mind that you owe some forgiveness to, that that has wronged you, and you need to forgive them, as the song is playing, just ask God to bring that person to mind and allow yourself to free them, free yourself of that burden. And then, as the song is playing, maybe as you're singing or maybe as you're sitting there thinking about it, think about what God has done for you, the grace and truth that he's shown you. I challenge you to really think about that and not just be overcome overwhelmed with gratitude for what God has done for you and then I invite you during this song to worship I invite you to celebrate go back at some point bring get grab that cup bring it back you can open it get ready we're gonna close the service by actually taking the bread and wine together because Jesus told us he, he, he before he died he told his disciples I'm gonna I'm gonna create this special moment that for thousands of years people can get together and remember my grace and truth spread out for you so as the band plays this last song Let's, let's worship together, and let's come back together to close the service. Thank you for listening to the Paradox Church podcast. If you want more information about us or to just get connected, please visit our website at www.paradoxchurch.com. We would love to hear from you.